0: The views, opinions, and content of the show hosts and their guests appearing on America's Web Radio are their own and do not necessarily reflect those of the station.
1: You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening.
2: Welcome to America's Web Radio. This is Ron Bachman, and you're listening to Healthcare Insight. Today, I want to go back to something many of us maybe have put out of our minds. Occasionally, we'll see something on the evening news or read something on a uh, in a newspaper, or on our our phones, our our internet um, information sources, whatever it is, uh, and that's Ukraine. It's sort of been put aside with things like abortion and voting rights and the election coming up, and all sorts of issues that we face in our daily lives. But I've come across a piece from a a really great thinker of our time. His name is Jordan Peterson. He's a psychologist and he has a very interesting take, a conservative take on many of the events and activities uh, that are around us in this world. And I wanna bring forth his view on what's happening in Ukraine and Russia. He has a different perspective of understanding Putin's mind. Mr. Peterson is a psychologist and he looks at world events and activities in a very thoughtful way. And his kind of thinking and his connections to many policy leaders in the United States and around the world can be very influential in the actions that we might take or might not take against Russia, against Ukraine, against other things that might be happening to affect the world. He is somewhat of a contrarian, so I think you'll find this presentation both informative, uh, stimulating in many ways but insightful in ways that when I first heard it, I really was struck by the nature in which he was psychoanalyzing, if you will, Putin, but also psychoanalyzing what's happening in the United States and how those two uh, were creating a conflict that really was not necessary. So let me stop here and jump into an interview with Mr. Peterson. So, Mr. Peterson, give us your perspective a little bit about what's happening in the Ukraine and with Russia.
3: We are now several months into the conflict with Russia. I say we, because we are all pretending here in the West that the real war is between Russia and Ukraine. But nod, nod, wink, wink. If we clandestinely, in some sense, provide full support to Ukraine, maybe the Russians foolish and backward as they are Won't notice, and we can simultaneously pretend that we aren't flirting with the prospect of a long, arduous, and inconceivably destructive war.
2: Dr. Peterson, I know you are a great thinker, a philosopher, and even a theologian, and you have been very strong in some of your beliefs uh, and analysis about what's happening on the world scene. What do you think about Putin as a person? and about the religious connection of the Orthodox Church in Russia and their uh, complicitness, uh, their agreement, their, their silence at times about the horrors that are going on in Ukraine and the actions that Russia has taken.
3: I want to say at the outset that I think what Putin has done is unconscionable. God only knows what the impact will be. I also think that the collusion of the leadership of the Russian Orthodox Church is even more unforgivable.
2: Dr. Peterson, you bring a particular insightful psychological analysis of situations and into the, trying to delve into the mind of Putin as an example. Why do you think that's so important for Americans and our political leadership to better understand the mind of Putin?
3: Hey, I also believe that the attempt to deeply understand the motive forces for this war, as it is very difficult to set things right, let alone avoid a similar future catastrophe, or even to stop this conflict from spreading in the absence of such understanding.
2: Dr. Peterson, I know you talk to a lot of other deep thinkers around the world, and one of those is Dr. Frederick Kagan. Can you tell me his perspective and what your take is, along with his analysis, Of uh, Putin and what really drives him, what makes him do the things that we in the West think are war crimes that make no sense, we don't understand it, but there is a basis for understanding him if we would just step back and listening to people like yourself and Frederick Kagan.
3: Dr. Kagan essentially put forward the thesis that Vladimir Putin is a prototypical authoritarian, and that Russia's foray into Ukraine might be properly viewed as an expression of the imperial expansionism that characterized the Soviet Union. So this is Cold War Round Two. Accompanying this view is the interpretation of Putin as a thug in the Hitlerian mold, carrying a chip on his shoulder, interested primarily in self-aggrandizement, and capitalizing on Russian patriotism and an associated populist appeal to fortify his pretensions to empire and desire for an unlimited extension of personal power.
2: Well, so far, that doesn't sound like a lot different than what most of us have picked up from media and stories that Putin is just a, um, you know, is a narcissist. He wants to expand his own empire. He's got uh, sort of um, a um, self-guided craziness that's driving him to be an egomaniac Um, How is that any different from what you might think, or how does that fit into some mold that you think is a natural interpretation based upon our Western values and our Western ideas of leadership and world power?
3: This perspective, which appears to characterize what might be called the Western patriotic response to the Russian incursion, has its very real justifications. It appears part of uniting in response to an enemy, part of justifying what is necessarily a binary decision process. Are we at war or not? If yes, then the question arises, is the enemy bad? By definition, otherwise the war is unpardonable. And if we believe that to be the case, we will enter the fray demoralized and compromise our chances of victory.
2: So I guess what I'm hearing you say and maybe what our audience is hearing is that if we don't understand uh, motivations beyond sort of the obvious that our leaders have been telling us about or why we're into this war, then we're going to have a very hard time getting out of it or avoiding future wars. It seems like an area that just has no solution and only has the potential for escalation. Is that really what you're saying?
3: But one of the primary justifications for a war, perhaps, is that we have something to gain. I see that we have little to gain in the current situation. And certainly, much we could lose. Russia is a nuclear power. And we run the very real risk of backing them into a corner. And that, bad as it is, is only one of many of the options for disaster that currently face us.
2: I know there's a lot of people on the left, some people call them the San Francisco left, but the extreme left wing of the Democratic Party always finds a way to blame the United States for all evils in the world, and that we've created this, that, that we're responsible for everything that happens, including maybe the war in Ukraine. I know that there is a, a, a Dr. Mearsheim that has suggested that part of the reason for the war in Ukraine is the Western culture. It's what's happening in the West that gives Putin justification for what he's doing because he sees the West as degenerate. Now, I'd like to hear more about that. I don't want to get into a blame America first kind of a concept because I don't think that that makes any sense in 99 percent of the cases but in this case, I'd like to hear your thoughts and Dr. Mearsheim's um, uh, analysis of how the West is at fault, not so much for the war uh, directly, but because of what we're doing in the West to diminish our own culture.
3: I was concerned that Mearsheimer might be a Russian apologist in some relatively simple manner, although that does not seem to be the case. In a singularly lucid one-hour presentation... Mearsheimer explained that NATO and European Union expansionism into Ukraine, the invitation proffered to Ukraine to join the EU, the formal statement of the desirability of NATO's extension into Ukraine, has already and will continue to pose an intolerable threat to the Russians, who view Ukraine both as an integral part of the broader Russian sphere of interest and as a necessary buffer between the Europe that has invaded Russia to terrible effect in 1812 and 1941, and that is no more trustworthy to Russianize now than previously.
2: So, Dr. Peterson, what I think I'm hearing you say is that Ukraine becoming more westernized under Zelensky is a threat to Russia, much as we were threatened uh, when missiles were put into Cuba, that the Western values and the Western ideologies were getting too close to Russia and he wanted to have a buffer in there. So it's not just his egocentric, um, maniacal wanting to expand Russia for his own purposes, but from a strategic viewpoint, a perspective that we need to understand whether it's real or not is the idea that he feels threatened by the expansion of the EU, expansion of NATO, and the inclusion of Ukraine on his border becoming more and more hostile, if you will, or potentially hostile by Western values.
3: Mersheimer compared the former element of that view to the U.S. Monroe Doctrine, which makes the Western Hemisphere sacrosanct with regards to, say, the movement of Soviet missiles to Cuba, and the latter to the stark realities of the difference in the importance of Ukraine to Russia, crucial, and to the West, irrelevant, except for the transmission of Russian natural gas and any and all current exploitation for the purposes of shallow moral posturing.
2: So, the West and understanding Putin's motivations for his own country's safety and protection is something we really haven't considered. We just see the Analysis of him as a uh, as a crazy egomaniac uh, doing immoral things. But if the Ukraine is so important to him, why is the devastation of major cities and even the areas that he w- may ultimately occupy? Why does that make any sense that he's destroying such civilian targets?
3: Mearsheimer states starkly, and this explains a fair bit of Putin's potential motivation. That Russia would rather see Ukraine destroyed, razed to the ground, than comfortably ensconced in the Western sphere of influence. And Mearsheimer said that not last month, or last week, in response to the Ukraine incursion, but seven years ago in 2015.
2: Well, that is clearly a new and... Disturbing perspective from my viewpoint, maybe from any of the listeners out there, that the things that are going on may seem irrational to us and maybe really are irrational. But there is a basis on which Putin is taking those actions and destroying everything in sight, civilian sites, malls, uh, condominiums. He just doesn't want any ultimate influence from the West to take hold on his border. And he's that desperate. In making sure that it doesn't happen. Well, let's take a quick break. I want to come back and I want to continue to explore the mind of Putin and what's really going on and how it is affecting our country as much or more than it's affecting Russia. Be right back.
4: Thank you. If you love classic cars, you're going to want to listen to The Classic Car Show with Tom Cox and Richard Lentinello on America's Web Radio. Live every Saturday at 9 a.m. Eastern at americaswebradio.com or on demand on your favorite podcast app.
1: You're listening to America's Web Radio on the americasbroadcastnetwork.com. Thank you for listening.
2: Welcome back to America's Web Radio. And today we are talking about looking inside the mind of Vladimir Putin? Why is he doing the irrational things that we think he is doing? Does he have a perspective that we can better understand so we can counter it, so we can negotiate with him, so we can end what might be an increasing war that could lead to a nuclear conflict? What is happening in the mind of Putin? It's a scary thought, but Dr. Peterson and a Dr. Hersheimer have been looking at this and have very unique perspective that I think this audience uh, will learn from and try to understand what might be going on as we move forward with this war that doesn't seem to have a good outcome. There's no way that Russia is just going to give up given its nuclear weapons and the nature of the threats that they see. So let's step back a little bit with Dr. Peterson and have him describe a little bit more of the history that most of us have never learned in school or maybe don't even know or understand uh, what was happening leading up to the Russian invasion of Ukraine.
3: Mir also claims that the Ukraine president, Yanukovych, deposed in 2014 in the aftermath of widespread pro-EU protests was the clear favorite and choice of the Russian-speaking Ukrainians, who overwhelmingly occupy the southeastern section of the country, while Zelensky, the current president and supporter of all things Western, was and is supported by the Ukrainian speakers who live in the northeast. Add to that as well the fact that the Ukrainian-speaking supported government has placed increasingly draconian restrictions on the language rights of the Russian speakers in the northwest... In fact, all Westerners balancing the complexities of multiple languages in their own countries should be particularly sensitive to and understanding of. All this to say that Putin and the Russians have their reasons for concern over the situation in Ukraine.
2: I know, Dr. Peterson, that you and your colleagues don't bring that forth to excuse or to accept what Putin is doing But as part of the understanding of his mindset so that we might better be able to uh, come to some resolution down the road or to understand a little bit more about some of the threats that Russia feels that we might be able to negotiate away rather than uh, getting the conflict resolved through war or expanded war. But tell us more about um, Russia as a deliverer of um, of petroleum, of uh, gas, of oil, uh, as a petro giant, if you will. What is the threat that Russia might feel on that front, since most of their economics is really derived from the sale of oil to other countries?
3: We could reasonably add to these two theories of the conflict some observations about the energy front Russia is a petro giant, providing almost 15% of the world's supply of oil and natural gas and is extremely dependent on that single resource whose revenues make up almost 50% of the state budget and perhaps 30% of total GDP almost half of the Russian fossil fuels exported make their way to Europe which has allowed itself to become dangerously dependent on such outside sources for one of its primary necessities, not least because of its faux moral stance on issues of the environment.
2: Okay, so the world and Europe in particular has become very dependent upon Russian oil. How does that Russian oil get to Europe and what part might that play in this conflict with um ukraine
3: it's not so easy for the russians to get their oil and gas to market partly because the behemoth country is remarkably landlocked in a practical sense they've had to build extensive pipelines to do so the two of those that serve the european market upon which the economy of russia is fundamentally dependent pass through what are now other countries this is not convenient to say the least for the russians has caused no shortage of conflict between them and Ukraine specifically, and has certainly encouraged constant Russian interference in Belarus, which is in some real sense a puppet state of its larger partner.
2: Dr. Peterson, speaking of puppet states, a lot of those states that were puppets, when the Soviet Union broke up, they became their own countries. And the oil and gas that were in those countries went with those countries, did they not? And what threat is that now that Russia has enormous oil resources, but many of those resources uh, didn't diminish their total by all that much, but it's actually left deposits of oil in these other countries that broke away. What kind of a threat are those other countries, and are they able to supplant Russian oil Uh, as they have westernized their economies and might find markets in Europe.
3: When the Soviet Empire collapsed, the huge oil fields around the Caspian Sea suddenly found themselves in the hands of the new countries of Kazakhstan, Azerbaijan, Uzbekistan, and Turkmenistan. After 1989, these resources attracted major attention from Western energy companies. And untrammeled production from the new countries posed a threat to Russian domination of the European energy market. This has produced unending tension in the region, not least around Azerbaijan, which has run its own pipelines to thirsty Western markets through Georgia, invaded non-coincidentally by Russia in 2008. Turkey and Albania, thus partially circumventing Russian control over petroexport,
2: Okay, so I'm now seeing the insight, the um, geopolitical, geo-petro arguments that were going on, where we had all these wars in the Middle East around oil. Now, the oil that are in these post-Soviet countries now has become the center of what's really happening. So it's not just Putin invading to gain land, but there is a reason behind this that we— At least I haven't heard of before, so this is pretty interesting news. Can you give us a little bit more of the background and the threat that the Soviet Union might be seeing as many of these oil reserves become potentially westernized and threaten the lifeblood of the Soviet Union's economy?
3: The fact of this relative emerging independence has also allowed Azerbaijan to move further away from the Moscow-centered sphere of influence, and sets a worrying example in the Russian view to other developing post-Soviet countries in the area. Add to that the fact that 80% of Russia's oil and gas exports once had to pass through Ukraine, although this problem has been remediated somewhat, and the stage was and is set for trouble.
2: So after Ukraine became a little bit more westernized and had those pipelines going through it that Russia needed, um, what was the Russian response or what was the Russian request about that pipeline and what was the Ukrainian response to that Russian request?
3: Shortly thereafter, the Russians demanded that Ukraine turn over ownership of the pipeline system traversing that country to them. This request was refused. In response and during the winter, the Russians briefly turned off the taps supplying Ukraine with the petro resources upon which that country was also acutely dependent.
2: So again, as we sort of mentioned earlier, much of this Ukrainian war is really about oil and gas. So what do we know more now about the oil and gas resources that are actually contained within the borders of Ukraine that Russia may have its eye on or feels that is rightfully theirs?
3: It is also the case that Ukraine has immense and relatively recently discovered, circa 2010, petro-resources of its own, particularly around the Caspian Sea and in the Northeast. Enough natural gas, for example, so that it could have become a major supplier of that resource to Europe and thereby pose a threat to European reliance on Russian resources. Ukraine also possesses, although perhaps not after the current war, immense storage capacity for petro resources, another asset that could limit the influence that Russia can exert over its European customers by providing a buffer against any suddenly imposed limitation of supply.
2: So it's becoming more and more clear that this war is not about territory expansion. It's about controlling petro resources, the oil fields that are there that could threaten the Ultimate demise of Russia because that they make, you know, most of their economic gain, most of their GDP is off the sale of oil and gas reserves to Europe and to other countries around the world. And getting that to Europe has been critical. And these other countries have resources who are now independent. They used to be under the Soviet Union and are now free from that. So what has Ukraine, for example, done recently? in terms of trying to exploit or to develop those resources within its country that created a more imminent threat to Russia.
3: In the last decade, Ukraine has been actively pursuing agreements with ExxonMobil, Shell, and Chevron to develop and export their new resources. The 2014 pro-Western revolution in Ukraine, toppling what was then the pro-Russian government there, did little to set Russian minds at ease. The consequent invasion of Crimea placed a substantial proportion of the new Ukraine petrol reserves in Russian hands. The later invasion of the Donbass region in the aforementioned northeast, putatively to support pro-Russian separatists there, was perhaps motivated by analogous reasons.
2: Dr. Peterson, you have developed a historical perspective on why Russia would go into Ukraine. Could you summarize those points for the audience here so that we can better understand some of the motivations and reasons why Putin has done what he's done in Ukraine?
3: So that's three hypothetical reasons for Russia and Ukraine. First, Putin, the imperialist Soviet era, Hitlerian thug. Second... Russia, threatened by careless and provocative Western expansionism into a country we really don't care about, except when our unearned moral virtue is challenged, but which is key to Russian identity and security. Third, Russian concern about maintaining its primarily petro-funded economy, particularly in relation to the European market. But even three reasons are not enough to account for the fact of this war and its emergence here and now.
2: There's a fourth. Dr. Peterson, let me jump in right there. That fourth reason is what I want to spend the rest of this program on because I think it's an amazing insight into the dangers of what's happening in this country and other places around the world. So hold on to that thought. I want to take a commercial and I'm going to come right back and expand on that fourth item that I think is so critical from what I understand of your past presentations. So let's take a quick break, audience, and come right back and listen to Dr. Peterson on the Ukraine-Russia war and how it's affecting all of us.
4: When it comes to car magazines, are you tired of reading about mega-dollar collector cars you can't afford, or endless reporting on auctions and how-to tech stories that don't interest you? Then Crankshaft is the car magazine for you. Crankshaft is a 144-page softcover quarterly filled with all sorts of fascinating stories, the type of car features you won't find anywhere else.
0: Thank you. Veteran-owned, America's Web Radio would like to thank all of our incredible patrons. We wouldn't be able to do this without you. If you are not already a patron, you can help us continue to produce some of the most informative and entertaining shows on the Internet by becoming a patron. Patrons of America's Web Radio are the first to receive information about new shows and links to the latest podcast episodes. Join now and receive a free gift while supplies last. For more information and to join our family, please visit www.patreon.com slash americaswebradio. If you have questions, contact us at gm at americaswebradio.com. And as always, thank you for listening.
1: You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening.
0: The views, opinions, and content of the show hosts and their guests appearing on America's Web Radio are their own and do not necessarily reflect those of the station.
2: Welcome back to America's Web Radio. Today we are taking an interesting journey into the mind and thought of Vladimir Putin. As scary as that might seem, the insights that Dr. Peterson is bringing, he's a psychologist, a psychologist, He's a historian, he's a strong Christian, and he's trying to bring a perspective that we have not heard in our traditional news outlets these days. And I think his perspective is going to be uh, very insightful and would be helpful if some of our leaders would actually step back and accept some new information, some new perspectives, some new insights. So I wonder our audience to at least hear that. And the fourth item that he alluded to is sort of Uh, teased us with at the end of the last segment is about the religious beliefs of the West and of Russia and how they might differ and how it might play into what's actually happening in Ukraine. So I want to sort of lay the foundation with Dr. Peterson about the religious nature of what's going on in Russia. So Dr. Peterson, would you Uh, Give us a little bit of the insights that you see into the Russian uh, faith-based community.
3: Russia is neither Catholic nor Protestant, but orthodox in its religious matters. And that fact remains of serious importance, in my opinion, to a proper understanding of the terrible situation we in the West, including Russia, now find ourselves in. There's every sign of a revival of Christianity in Russia including a veritable storm of church building and cathedral construction. Putin himself is, in principle, a practicing Christian, and it appears that he has been strongly influenced by such ideas. I certainly feel somewhat more comfortable knowing that Putin regards himself, however indeterminately, as subordinate to something beyond himself, as the alternative is dreadful to contemplate, That would be the absolute moral presumption of someone such as Stalin. Regardless of the depth or genuineness of his belief, however, it is beyond dispute that the Russian leader frequently speaks of his country's role as a bulwark against the moral decadence of the West.
2: So now, Dr. Peterson, what you're talking about is not the actual physical war that's going on in Ukraine between Ukraine and Russia, but you're talking about a cultural war that is more global in nature and has a perspective from russia that they are on the right side of the cultural war that they are more religious if you will more following god's orders about how people should live and what's right and wrong that that is a a very interesting perspective that you think that putin may be justifying what he's doing on moral grounds while we look at it as very immoral of what he is doing. So if we take that perspective, it might give us a better insight as to how we actually deal with this individual who sees himself on the moral side. So give us a little bit more perspective on that as you see it.
3: That He speaks in philosophical and theological terms to a degree unthinkable in a Western leader all of whom tend towards a condescension in such matters that has reached its apotheosis in Canada's Justin Trudeau, New Zealand's Jacinda Ardern and U.S. Vice President Kamala Harris.
2: So I think what you're saying then is that Putin looks at the Western culture, the United States and even some in Europe, that we are becoming decadent, that we are the culture that is not living up to uh, God's um, direction of how we should live and treat with one another. And when you combine that with his geopolitical uh, gas and oil interests, it gives a whole different perspective and maybe justification in his own mind because I've wondered about that myself. How can somebody who claims to be Christian, which he says he is in a number of interviews I've always looked at him as an atheist who could have no moral values, but you're bringing an entirely perspective, a different perspective here that could understand the mind of Putin and why he is doing what he's doing, whether it's right or wrong, whether we agree or disagree, it is an understanding of Putin that uh, is very different from what we might otherwise think. So let's explore that a little bit more.
3: Putin! regards the current West as decadent to the point of absolute untrustworthiness, particularly on the cultural and religious front. He is driven by economic and political necessity to trade with us and us with him so that Russia can be supplied by much-needed hard Western currency, and Europe in particular with fossil fuel. But Putin constantly tells his people that he sees us falling far too far under the sway of ideas Very similar to those that produced the revolutionary frenzy of the communist movement. And whether he believes this or not, and I believe he does, he is certainly able and willing to use the story of our degeneration to make his people wary of us and to convince them of the necessity of his leadership and to unite them in supporting his actions in Ukraine.
2: So the view that the United States and maybe some countries in Europe and elsewhere are truly degenerate, that their culture is going downhill so fast that Russia, Putin wants to avoid his country from being exposed to that or going down that same path. Are there other countries in Europe even that feel the same way that they are trying to protect their population from this Western degeneration, the Western culture that many of us also find very troubling, and this slippery path, the slippery slope we've been going down into uh, more and more degeneration, uh, certainly from a religious perspective.
3: And something akin to this can be said of the attraction that Hungarian Prime Minister Viktor Orban holds for the Hungarians and the Polish president for the Poles. Le Pen makes a similar appeal in France.
2: So, Dr. Peterson, do you believe that we are becoming degenerate in a profounding, threatening way to a country like Russia or to other countries in the way that our own culture seems to be sliding away from our basic religious beliefs? Our current morality uh, does not match up with what the morality uh, is of our founding fathers, We no longer recognize certain rights and wrongs. We now uh, have a legal system that punishes uh, seemingly innocent people and letting go criminals. What's happening out there? Is this a profoundly uh, dangerous culture that we are creating, that the world is seeing?
3: I think the answer to that may well be yes. The idea that we are ensconced in a culture war has become a rhetorical commonplace, How serious is that war? Is it serious enough to increase the probability that Russia, say, will be motivated to invade and potentially incapacitate Ukraine merely to keep the pathological West out of that country, which is a key part of the historically Russian sphere of influence?
2: Let's focus on this moral decadence that you talk about, that Russia may perceive the West as being morally Uh, Decaying and wants to avoid and not have the world, their world, uh, go down that route or have any of their neighbors bring it closer to the Russian people. Um, Can you give more specific examples? I know in the past you've talked about uh, the Supreme Court nominee, our last Supreme Court nominee, being uh, focused only on being female and black, and that that really is totally different when she answered the question you know what is a female and she wouldn't answer it but at the same time we've got this issue in our country where we're saying there is no male or female but yet one of the highest offices in this country one of the most important jobs in this country being on the supreme court we picked on the basis of sex while at the same time telling the rest of the world and the rest of the country that there are 32 ...different sexes out there, and male and female no longer make any difference. How do you take that as the moral decadence that other countries may be viewing the United States as being under this decay?
3: That we were also enjoined to remain entirely dubious, again on moral grounds, that any such category as sex even validly existed. There is a principle... The principle of non-contradiction, acceptance of which, in principle, serves as one of the foundations for the practice of discourse itself. That principle is the assertion that it is fundamentally unreasonable, irredeemably irrational, to claim that A and not A are identical. Well,
2: these contradictions, I guess when I hear them, I just kind of dismiss them as being the crazy left. But from a psychological standpoint, it may have a more profound impact on our ability to actually communicate with others and certainly to communicate with other foreign leaders and other countries. Is that, is that the basis on which you're saying that this is a very strong fundamental failure? of our country that is threatening uh, to people like Vladimir Putin?
3: Well, because if you can claim that a thing is what it is and what it is not simultaneously, then you can claim anything whatsoever. And if you can claim anything whatsoever as true, then it is impossible to talk with you. You have departed from the sphere of reason and reasonable discourse. You have departed from the realm of the rational. This means that you have become deranged. This means that you have become degenerate. This means that all who fail to call you on your deranged degeneration have become rowers on the same doomed boat. This means that you and all those who do not call you out have become insane. Well, I understand
2: what you're saying, uh, Dr. Peterson, but... Isn't that view a little extreme? Can you give more depth and understanding so our audience can really um, perceive what it is you're driving at and why this is such a horrible thing? Is there more background here that we should know and understand where this is going from a philosophical standpoint?
3: This is against a well-established background of such insistence upon the mandatory acceptance of contradiction in our society. All sexual proclivities and desires, no matter how rare, dangerous, or socially disruptive, are not to be merely tolerated, but must be celebrated, Pride Month, outright or else, and regarded as hedonically desirable and absolutely harmless. But sex is simultaneously so dangerous that every such interaction, to take a single example, between young men and women on campus is to be regarded as deeply and patriarchally exploitative in its intrinsic nature, tantamount, even if voluntary, to rape, and therefore necessarily preceded by the establishment of explicit consent formulated to a degree of precision that would hold in court under adversarial challenge.
2: Well, Dr. Peterson, you've certainly given us all some interesting ideas and food for thought. Let's take a quick commercial break and we'll come right back to our final segment on America's Web Radio and continue this discussion of trying to understand the psychology of uh, Putin, Russia, the implications of the Ukrainian war, uh, the religious perspective of it, and also the economic and petrochemical Uh, aspects of it we'll be right
3: back hey folks this is victor with the on point with victor show make sure you listen every tuesday one to two only right here on america's web radio the on point with victor show remember folks i'm not angry I'm just right, and you can find out why every Tuesday from 1 to 2,
4: the On Point with Victor show, only right here on America's Web Radio. The Docs for Patient Care Foundation is your way to join the fight and become a member of an organization created by doctors for patients dedicated to fighting for your health care freedom and preserving the doctor-patient relationship. Get a pen and paper. Write down www.docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. That's www.docsforpatient. CareFoundation.org. go to our site and please make a generous tax deductible donation and join the fight today thank you if you want the truth about politics medicine weapons classic cars and more you'll want to tune in to america's web radio you can listen to all of your favorite shows live at www.americaswebradio.com or on demand on itunes spotify or your favorite podcast app That's www.americaswebradio.com.
1: You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening.
2: Welcome back to the final segment of America's Web Radio. Today, we are talking and analyzing, discussing, and commenting on um, Dr. Jordan Peterson's uh, presentation on Ukraine and Russia and trying to understand from a philosophical and even a psychological standpoint, the, the thinking behind Putin and what he's doing and why he's doing it. And just to summarize, and we'll get back to um, Professor uh, Jordan in just a second, but he's outlined four reasons that Putin is doing what he's doing. The first two are that he's just a uh, a megalomaniac. He's just a, a completely self-centered narcissist. The second is that he is just trying to reinstall, uh, recreate the old um, Russian Empire, the Soviet Union. And those two um, we typically hear about. Uh, those are what we, the pi- picture that's sort of painted in the media about uh, Putin. But he brings in a third item, which I don't think it's enough play in the media and that this is really about oil and the amount of oil that's not only in Ukraine, but it is in many of the other pre-Soviet Union countries, those that have split away since the fall of the Soviet Union. And Ukraine is maybe a step ahead of some of the others in trying to monetize their natural wealth in oil to sell to Europe and other countries that would wind up basically being a competitor to Russia. And Russia is so dependent on oil, 50% of its revenue comes in, 50% of the growth of its country's funds that come in to to pay for all the other projects, all the civilian government projects that are... Paid for out of the um, coffers of their central government. All fifty percent of that comes from the oil reserves and what they sell. About three uh, percent of their GDP uh, is generated by the sale of oil and oil products. So there's a real threat to their livelihood, to their future existence as a as an oil power in the world. If Ukraine was able to attach itself more to the West and lead the way for many of the other. Uh, countries to go the same way that have untapped resources but Russia knows they're there we know they're there and Ukraine is just a step ahead and Russia doesn't want them to be an example we don't hear enough about that third item the fourth item has been a very interesting discussion that who has the moral ground moral high ground of course we think in the United States that we have the moral high ground in this whole uh, debate we see the atrocities of of Russia and Putin, and we say that those are war crimes. And so clearly we have the um, the higher moral ground. But what Professor Jordan is proposing is that, in Putin's mind at least, he may very well think that he has the higher moral ground because he looks at the decadence of the West. And we've only talked about a couple of examples that Dr. Peterson goes into in much more detail Uh, on some of his podcasts and on his YouTube uh, programs about how there's just an insanity going on around the United States policies, both internally, domestically, what we're doing to ourselves and how we're presenting ourselves externally. So let me go back to um, uh, Dr. Um, Peterson and ask him how the rest of the world is looking at some of of the craziness that's happening in the United States and if they also might be thinking that we are a little bit deranged in our policies currently. So, Dr. Peterson, what about other countries and how they're viewing what's going on internal to the United States, as well as the external image that we are presenting?
3: And are not the Russians and the Hungarians and the Poles and the Indians, to a lesser degree, watching and thinking, those people have gone out of their minds? And We have to say it again. Clearly, the culture war in the West is real and culture is losing and Russia is part of the West. And the culture war is now truly part of why we have a war and it's a real war.
2: You know, in this country, we used to uh, talk about the Trump derangement syndrome. Now it seems like we have the liberal global transformation uh, syndrome going on. And it's getting worse and worse as we go through this craziness of the Biden administration. So is that the issue? Who has the moral high ground when other countries and Putin are looking at us and seeing this degradation, and conflict within our own country?
3: And it is certainly the case that we do not, therefore, have all the moral high ground for some part of the reasons that Mearsheimer details, and for these reasons of insanity. In fact, how much of it we have at all is something rightly subject to the most serious debate. Thus, the Russians think in some combination of convenient for them and accuracy in relationship to us, on top of their imperialist ambitions and their nationalistic populism and the potential thuggery of their leader, all that taken into account, those Westerners are so out of their mind that we simply cannot trust them. Those Westerners are so out of their mind that a devastated but neutral Ukraine is preferable to a functional bordering state aligned with the U.S. and Europe. Those Westerners are so out of their mind that we'll push the world to the brink of a nuclear war and potentially beyond keep them off our doorstep. And that is exactly what Putin tells his people. And they believe it.
2: So, Doctor, now I'm hearing an understanding of why the Russian people have not risen up Uh, like we might expect for a dictator who is so brutal and random in killing civilians and destroying countries and invading them without provocation. You're now telling us that the population is believing what he believes are these issues that justify this high moral ground. Uh, But do you think he really believes it?
3: And in some sense, therefore, it doesn't even matter if Putin believes it, although I believe he does, along with whatever else he might believe in relationship to personal ambition and self-aggrandizement and the willingness to aggress and the desirability of resurgent Russian empire. And so the Russians believe that they have a moral duty and that they have the highest moral duty to oppose the degenerate ideas, philosophy, theology of the West. And there's something about that that is not wrong.
2: So if you're right, Professor, this moral decadence this decay in the basic values of our country, of the United States of America, the, the basic founding principles that our Constitution, our Bill of Rights, our Declaration of Independence, all those things that uh, created our country and allowed us to prosper for so long, it's under attack under what I'm hearing from you as sort of a, a cultural um revolution in the united states and in much of the west so how do other countries uh feel about this is this uh thesis that you're throwing out there this uh description of what putin is thinking is it the same thinking that's going on in maybe other countries especially in the old soviet union type countries that experience the um, authoritative uh, type government how do they feel about all this
3: All the Eastern European countries whose populations groaned under the Stalinist burden are watching the resurgence of these demented ideas among their erstwhile enlightened allies with stunned disbelief. Romanians, Estonians, Hungarians, Albanians, all those countries characterized by a traumatic wisdom, all extremely unhappy that those who should know better and who have built their economic strength and based their freedom on ideas that promote equality of opportunity, but denounce enforced equity or equality of outcome, kowtow to the resentful, full-moralistic, opportunistic, anarchic narcissists of the radical left.
2: So, What I'm hearing you say is one of the critical items that we should be understanding and focusing on that the Russian-Ukraine war has surfaced is the importance of us... On the right, uh, the conservatives uh, defeating the far less cultural changes and transformation that they're trying to make. But we have to win that war at home. But as we look at Ukraine and the actual war that's going on, not the cultural war at home that's connected, as you've described. But if we look at the actual war, what are some things now that you've analyzed the psychology of Putin? What is it you would suggest we do to try to end the actual war going on between Russia and Ukraine.
3: Perhaps the declaration of Ukraine as a neutral state for a minimum period of 20 years. Perhaps a new election in Ukraine subject to ratification by joint Russian-Western observers. Perhaps a pledge on the part of the West to not offer to Ukraine any membership in NATO or the EU that is either not simultaneously offered to Russia or moving forward on terms acceptable to Russia. And if not any of these offerings and I may be dreadfully naive for reasons I do not know about such matters, and therefore wrong in my specific suggestions, then something else that will bring peace. And the sooner the better. The Russians are a nuclear power. The Russians have a sphere of influence. The Russians have already integrated into the world economy in a manner that cannot be compromised without devastating global consequences. So, Dr.
2: Peterson... Given all this analysis you've made, and you made some very interesting points and provided some new insights that I didn't really know, and maybe many of our audience didn't know some of these uh, thoughts that you've thrown out there about Putin. What are the consequences of this war? Nobody's really talking about and looking down the road from our own government, talking to our own people here in this United States of America about what the consequences ultimately might be. How do you see that?
3: I believe that all of the following consequences are already inevitable. First, skyrocketing energy prices. I firmly expect oil prices to hit $300 a barrel, or worse, in the upcoming year or two. These higher energy prices will, of course, hurt the world's poor and developing countries hardest, as well as those who in the West must rely on low wages or fixed incomes. The idiot environmental policies that we insist on pursuing are exacerbating this problem unforgivably. That the hypothetically compassionate and working-class positive green types and their ilk are perfectly willing to sacrifice today's actual poor to the hypothetically thriving poor of their imaginary future utopia. Second, severe food shortages— or even famine, for a minimum of 150 million people. These shortages, and worse, will hit hard as early as the fall of 2022. And we have the makings of a humanitarian disaster on a scale not experienced. Third, mass migration. The countries most affected by the aforementioned food shortage will be precisely those North African and Middle Eastern nations from which the last mass migration that so stressed Europe expect immense mass movements of desperate people by November of 2022. Fourth, and most immediately, if the buildup of NATO forces continues, and they are in fact then moved into battle position, a real likelihood of the use of tactical nuclear weapons on the Russian side to deal with that threat
2: Well, Professor, let me jump in here because you've got so many great ideas and I know you can expound on all four of those predictions that you just laid out, but we're up against a hard stop. Uh, this program has now gone almost an hour and we need to go ahead and, and break it off this week and we'll have you back for more discussion and analysis, uh, from the psychological, philosophical perspective on many other issues. So, audience, I appreciate you staying with us. I appreciate you listening and understanding and maybe learning a few things along the way, at least the provocative thoughts and ideas that I've not seen expressed anyplace else in our media. So join us again next week on America's Web Radio. This is Ron Bachman signing off for Healthcare Insight.
0: The views, opinions, and content of the show hosts and their guests appearing on America's Web Radio are their own and do not necessarily reflect those of the station.